Hello, and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I sat down with behavioral scientist and motivation expert, Dr. Eilet Fishback. Eilet is the Jeffrey Breckenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science and Marketing at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. She is the past president of the Society for the Science of Motivation and the International Social Cognition Network. Eilet's groundbreaking research on human motivation has won the Society of Experimental Social Psychology's Best Dissertation Award, the Society of Consumer Psychology's Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award, and the Fulbright Educational Foundation Award. She is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation, which was the focus of our conversation. One key takeaway I had from our discussion was the importance of liking the process of pursuing goals that are important to us. While discipline will always be a key ingredient in goal pursuit, we must take pleasure in the journey in order for our perseverance to be sustainable. Unfortunately, considering how to make goal pursuit fun requires a lot of effort, so many of us overlook this part of the process. I was also startled at how important our mindset can be when maintaining motivation over time. Simple tweaks to how we think about and plan our goals can increase the likelihood of achieving them in the long run. In a few short weeks, we will welcome in the new year. And if you are planning on making some big changes or simply small ones in the form of New Year's resolutions, the motivational principles we discuss will be invaluable to you as you embark on your journey of change. Enjoy. Okay, I am joined today by Eilet Fishback. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Happy to be here. So today we're going to be talking about motivation and Eilet's book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. Uh, I have to say right off the bat that I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the book. It uh, I particularly am fond of books that that uh, cram as as much nuance as possible into behavioral science, and so I, I really liked the amount of detail in the book. Uh, that was that was probably my favorite part. Um, a lot of surprise, and, and again, surprising lessons. A lot of surprising lessons, especially in the the nuance of how people think about motivation and goals. So, Thank you. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, to start, um, you can't really think about motivation unless you talk about goal pursuit. Those, these kind of ideas are kind of woven together. But before we get into what makes a good goal. And how do we stay on track with our goals? I would like you to make the case for long-term goals, uh, goal pursuit. So it it seems to me as though some people avoid thinking about long-term goals for one reason or another. So perhaps they're too busy. Perhaps they're just generally on autopilot. Um, 
maybe some of them even spin their lack of interest in long-term goals as, you know, I like to live in the moment. Um, and, and I don't, you know, perhaps they avoid long-term goals because they don't have to worry about failure, right? If you set up a long-term goal, it's something you can fail at. Whereas if you're always kind of winging it, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to track progress and stuff like that. So to those individuals, you know, what would, what is the case for uh, building your life around pursuing long-term goals? Well, you just made the argument for why you should not have long-term goals because uh, they might not work out as you plan. Uh, I would like to add to it that as a, as a species, we were not designed to think long-term. Okay? Like we were not uh, uh, supposed to save for retirement because uh, if you think about like our development as, as people, there were no banks. Okay? And if you put uh, food aside, it will get spoiled and so you should not be thinking 20 years ahead it doesn't mean anything you should worry about tomorrow but not next year or five years from now and so it might not be natural for many people you might want to live in the moment however on the other side we live in a in a modern world in which you really don't have a choice. <laughs> you really need to be thinking about your uh, you know, finances uh, uh, ahead uh, of time. You should be uh, thinking about your career yeah, if you want to have a career, right? Uh, you cannot just live in a moment. Uh, you should think about your health if you want to have a long life. Okay? You should think about your relationship uh, if you don't want to uh, lose your temper and, and destroy it the moment it doesn't feel good. Uh, and so in our uh, modern world, you do um, need to think long-term. And, uh, and luckily for you and me and everybody who listens, uh, it, it doesn't need to be a chore. It doesn't need to be uh, something unpleasant. So yeah, uh, live in the moment, have fun. But now you also need to have some goals. Yeah. And so the the book goes into great detail about pursuing goals. At the beginning of this process, you emphasize that, you know, it's kind of important to frame the goal properly, uh, that there are things that we need to consider when we're sort of deciding what to aim at. Uh, so what are some of these considerations that we need to take in mind uh, when we're when we're planning how to achieve a goal? Yes, in a way, I start my book with uh, your argument that uh, some goals are not going to be good for you. OK, I tell the story <laughs> of a group of people trying to make it to the uh, top of Mount Everest uh, on uh, a bad weather day and uh, not quite making it uh, back to safety. And so some goals are not going to be good for us. Uh, they are not right for the person that I am, okay, for my abilities, uh, for my health, and, uh, and, and so on. And I think that many of us were at one point in our life pursuing the wrong goal. Uh, how to set a goal that is right for you? Well, I think about this goal as, uh, as something that you desire and not as a chore, uh, not as a means, okay? Something that 
will fulfill your life with meaning, with uh, enthusiasm. Uh, ask yourself why. Okay, uh, get a little bit more abstract in your thinking. Why? Why do I want to uh, pursue this career? Why do I want to uh, exercise more? Why do I want to start a relationship? Uh, so you, you you get an idea of why this is exciting. Okay. And then also ask how, so it is clear what's the path to get there. And ideally, this path is pleasant and something that you can see yourself uh, doing. Have the right incentives, approach goals, work better than avoidance goals. So think about what you want to do more than what you do not want to do. Numbers can be uh, useful. And no, I, I can keep going, but... Mm-hmm. If we want to start with one thing, then um, it should be a goal, not a means, not a chore. Yes, and I've I've seen there's sort of this message that is uh, that I come across with respect to this uh, this line of research, which is it's much better to make a goal. F- fun and interesting than it is to remind yourself how important it is that 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 it it must be attractive in some way shape or form it has to be something that that has value to you could you talk a little bit more about that yeah and, and let me actually give you example from studies uh one is a study in which we had uh, people students here at the university of chicago bidding on a book that was one group of students another group of students uh, that was uh, bidding on a tote bag and we found that the people who were bidding on the tote bag were willing to pay only eleven dollars, while that those bidding on the book were uh, willing to pay about uh, twenty-three dollars on average. Now the catch was that the tote bag contained the book, and the people that were bidding on the tote bag knew it. Okay, and so now think about it: Why would you be willing to pay less for a tote bag that contains a book than for the book? Now, obviously, these are like different people. They don't know about the other group. But still, it kind of shows that we don't like to work and in this case, like invest our money in something that is not the goal itself, okay? That is uh, a carrying device, okay? We don't like to pay for shipping or parking or gift wrapping or in this experiment, a tote bag, okay? We want to work on the thing itself. Now, another study is a study in which we um, went to people who were pursuing all kinds of goals, and uh, uh, we were looking uh, at people studying, and we uh, asked them about their their study materials, and we uh, uh, interviewed people about the food that they eat. Uh, We uh, were interested in uh, uh, gym users, like how much they exercise. And in all these different groups, we asked people, how important it is for you to do what you do? And how much you enjoy it, okay? How much it brings pleasure, okay? So I mentioned my last group was the, the people at the gym. So now, how much you enjoy this exercise and how important it is for you that you go to the gym? Consistently for students uh, studying in the library, for people who were choosing their food, for those in the gym, how important the goal was did not predict how much they were doing, what predicted how much they were doing was 
how much they enjoyed, okay, how much it was uh, pleasurable to pursue uh, the goal. Now think about it. These are not goals that people usually pursue for the sake of enjoying it. Okay, they, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't go to the gym because I cannot think of something more pleasurable to do. <laughs> Staying in bed, I would enjoy that more. Okay. Uh, when uh, students go to the library, I'm sure they can think of something that they would prefer doing over being there, at least most of them. But the extent to which people were excited about doing the work, to the extent to which they were intrinsically motivated, uh, predicted uh, persistence. And these are just like, two illustrations for why it is so important when you pursue a goal to learn to enjoy it and be excited about it and find meaning in it. Uh, otherwise, no matter how important it is, it will be hard to stick with it. So I'll ask you what uh, a question that I've asked a lot of other people related to um, in, in conversation around this topic. You know, when I hear something like that, that, that enjoying the activity is a much stronger predictor than seeing that activity is important. I might try to spin that as, well, it sounds to me like you're saying that I shouldn't be going to the gym because I'm not the type of person that likes going to the gym. Now, of course, you're not, you're not necessarily saying that per se, but some, sometimes when I think about motivation, I, I, I look around and I see, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to necessarily do strength training every day. Um, is, is, is it the case that I need to harness intrinsic motivation? So this to, to figure out a way to layer on something that makes it enjoyable rather than just avoid things that I'm not interested in? Thanks for raising this, uh, Ryan. It, it is very critical that people don't take this advice of uh, you should enjoy what you're doing to suggest that you should only do things that feel good at the moment. Okay, that the advice of uh, motivation uh, scientists, which is what I am, is not to spend all your money and eat uh, everything that uh, sweet and oily and bad for you and just uh, uh, do whatever feels good the moment it feels good. Not at all. Okay. But when pursuing your, your long-term goals, and we started our discussion with that, you need to find a path that feels good at the moment. And it might not feel good the first time you try. Okay, So you mentioned that weight training. Okay, uh, You might uh, do it for the first time and it will feel not right. Okay? And it will take, uh, I don't know, seven, ten times for this to uh, start feeling like something that you enjoy doing. Okay? That you get some value from doing it. That the way there feels Right. However, uh, if at no point you can see yourself enjoying this, if the sole purpose of doing it is that you're trying to achieve something that will only occur after you, you did the work, well, the data is that you're not going to stick with it. That is, if you hate running, you are not going to run. And it doesn't matter that it's really important to move your body. You, you have to find something else. You have to lift weights or do aerobic or I, I think. 
sweet, find something else. Okay, running is just not, not going to happen for you. But you're absolutely right that you need to find that the thing that you might learn to like condition on that that serves the goal. Yeah, it reminds me of the word sort of sustainable. What is sustainable? So you can, you know, plan to start exercising or moving more. But if it's like, yeah, as to your point, like if you're miserable, you, it, it, you'll do it for a short period of time. It just won't be sustainable. Same thing with losing weight via dieting. It's you, anyone can do something with discipline for a month. The question is, do you want to do something for a month and lose 20 pounds? Or do you want to change the way that you eat? If you want to change the way that you eat, that seems that's when you need to mix in a healthy dose of that inherent motivation. Yes, and the data is pretty clear that people who eat healthy food are people who are able to uh, design the, the healthy diet that they enjoy. The main predictor of food consumption is taste. We eat food that we like. So given that we want to eat healthy food, uh, we basically have two options. Okay? One, we can identify the healthy food that we already like. And the second is that we need to teach ourselves to like uh, new foods that are good for us. And, you know, luckily we don't actually need to choose. We can do both. Mm -hmm. uh, now, another interesting development in motivation science is this idea that action should come before motivation, not the other way around. So classically, people think of, well, I like drawing, but I'm not in the mood to draw right now. I'll draw when I'm in the mood to draw. And it seems as though we should be thinking of it the exact opposite, that I will draw and then I will feel better. I will be in a better mood. Could you elaborate more on this idea? Uh, yes, I, I would say that it goes both ways. Okay, Often we do something because we thought that that might be a good idea for us. Uh, but as you just mentioned, uh, many times the, the liking is the consequence of uh, uh, doing Okay, and uh, starting with earlier research uh, by uh, Festinger on cognitive dissonance and BAM on uh, uh, so social uh, self perception, uh, we found as, as a field that uh, when people do something, they learn to incorporate that as, as part of who they are and as part of what they, they like doing. So, you know, first do it, and then your, your attitudes will. Uh, follow up. Uh, in more recent uh, studies, in studies that, that we ran, we found that even telling people do something, knowing that you are not going to feel good about it, okay, uh, made them more willing to engage after the, the initial engagement. And uh, just to be more specific here, uh, we uh, ran studies with the Second City Improvisation Club here in Chicago and uh, uh, the second city has a, a training center where you know people uh, like me and, and you go there to learn improvisation. And I must say, I was a student there. It's a very uncomfortable experience initially. <laughs> and so in our study, uh, Caitlin Woolley and I invited people to feel uncomfortable 
as they run through their exercises. They were all beginners, okay? So they're all studying and they, your goal is to feel uncomfortable. And people do that knowing that they should feel uncomfortable. They do feel uncomfortable. They tell us, uh, but you know what? They want to do it again, okay? Uh, they want to engage. They feel more comfortable about being initially uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so do it, feel uncomfortable. It will become comfortable later. I I will insert a, a plug. So I did talk to Caitlin Woolley about consumer motivation, which is an earlier episode of this podcast. If you're listening, go check that out. I highly recommend that episode. Um, sticking on this discomfort for a moment in terms of it being sort of this motivator or, or something that, that, that is, that can lead to better outcomes. Um, you know, I, I want you to talk a little bit about framing because I've, I've, I, I pitched the, you know, the cold plunge, the cold shower type thing to a lot of people as sort of a way to psychologically, you know, put your, to in, voluntarily put yourself in a state of discomfort so that you can, in future cases, that you might encounter, you're going to move forward towards that goal. Um, and the, the cold shower is sort of a microcosm of, of that process. I've been trying to pitch this to many people. Oftentimes it's just, it's a hard no, right? Hard no. I don't want to be cold. That sounds, that sounds terrible. Um, since your book focuses on framing, on thinking of, 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 of a goal as A versus B, is there something we can do in a social context to reframe discomfort, to reframe these challenges and, and be a little bit more per- persuasive when it comes to uh, convincing people to uh, move towards discomfort? Uh, it's possible that the discomfort that you recommended was a bit too extreme. Okay? I uh, don't take cold showers ever, okay? <laughs> Sounds like, ah, you know, that this is beyond my uh, level of comfort. Uh, but I do try new foods that I suspect I might not initially find exciting. Okay, I, I think that many people would say I'm willing to eat food that I will call interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, an interesting way to make a salad. Uh, um, we uh, had people uh, reading news that is often uncomfortable. Okay? So reading about uh, uh, whether it's gun violence or uh, not learning about the political views of people that you disagree with. Maybe for some people that this is like taking a cold shower, but for many people, this is the kind of level of discomfort that I'm willing to embrace with the hope that once I do this, I will learn to like it. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are going to change yourself, if you're going to stick to some goal, you have to have pleasure, immediate pleasure from doing it. Like it has to feel right. And so when we talk about initially feeling discomfort it's really about the the initial engagement okay i might not like uh, getting myself out of bed early in the morning but i will enjoy the the workout okay i i Uh will get benefits from this that will not only materialize after i'm done 
these are the things that people find extremely hard to persist on when the, the benefit only happens after, when it's not part of doing the thing. Right. Uh, in your book, you talk about this idea that when we pursue sort of long-term goals, that our motivation often doesn't fluctuate linearly, that rather we tend to be highly motivated in the beginning because we're starting something and then we're motivated at the end because we can see the finish line. And then there's this quote unquote middle problem. Uh, very broadly, can you talk about what we need to know about where our progress is in the journey and how that should change the way we continue to, to strive forward towards our goals? Exactly as you described, motivation is high when we start something to the extent that it has a clear end. Right? And my last class toward an academic degree, it's my last purchase before uh, uh, getting some uh, reward in a consumer marketing program, uh, then motivation will pick up again. Okay? Uh, in the middle, you will see less motivation. Uh, we are talking now... Uh, around the time of the Hanukkah holiday and uh, in one of the, the studies that uh, we did that was led by uh, Rima Tuatillery, uh, we asked people who observed the holiday whether they were lighting the candles on the eight nights of uh, Hanukkah. And basically, if you observe the holiday, you need to light the candles on eight uh, nights. Uh, most people admitted to only light the candles on the first and the last night. That means in the middle they had a middle problem. <laughs> they were not quite uh, doing what uh, they were hoping to do. So uh, we need middles to be short. We need to set a monthly uh, exercise goal or, or a weekly exercise uh, goal. We need to set an annual saving for retirement goal, uh, even though we will um, work on this goal until we retire. Okay? We need short-term goals that have lost less of a middle. You mentioned framing, and th this is a good place where we can really choose how to frame the goal. Are we thinking about our annual, monthly, weekly, daily uh, goal? These are just simple ways of framing a goal in a way that works best for you. So it's the, what what your advice is, if what I'm hearing is correct, is that that we should manufacture our goals to have these benchmarks because if we don't, you know, we'll get lost in this middle problem. So instead of, instead of creating goals that are too long, like let's say at a three month scale, we, we take that three month goal and we break it up into smaller pieces so that we can have the psychological reward of completion at each step. And there is a less of a middle to this right. goal. Right. Okay? Uh, it's, uh, it's a goal where there is uh, much more on the beginning and the end than mm -hmm. in the middle. Now, uh, another uh, thing that you talk about in the book is incentives. Uh, incentives as being a way to uh, to create a, a motivation to come to do something that maybe you don't want to do. Uh, there's, you know, you talk about some very classic studies in psychology that shows that that 
incentives can undermine motivation if you like the activity to begin with. So for example, uh, with children that like to draw, if, if you give them a reward for drawing when they already like drawing, they start to associate their drawing with the award, with the reward and not the activity itself. And so essentially it interferes with your internal motivation to do that activity. And, and to the point where people lose interest in the activity, I, uh, I've given this example to my students and some of them shared that they were, um, one of them in particular uh, was, had a job drawing for, a, for a company and, you know, lost, lost his taste for drawing because he started to get paid to do it. Um, same thing with music. Somebody, when they're paid to do the music or they're paid to do the art, it interferes with their inherent motivation. So if, if incentives or rewards can undermine our internal motivation, um, what are the, what's the context for when we should be using incentives? How do we use ince incentives in a good way correctly? Well, so sometimes incentives undermine our motivation. Uh, more often, they actually change our motivation. So we, we are now pursuing the incentive. Okay, so uh, you know, if you're going to reward yourself for uh, um, walking uh, a certain number of steps a day, uh, you might be spending a lot of time walking, but not biking or swimming or doing anything that is not about counting steps, okay? And so you might actually neglect the important aspects of walking out and of developing your body because you're only focused on what is being incentivized. Uh, I talk in my uh, writing about the, the example of uh, Wells Fargo, the, the bank that... Uh, rewarded employees for opening a large number of accounts for the customers. Okay, now that employees were very motivated to open many, many, many accounts for the, the clients of the bank. Uh, but the problem was that um, they were less motivated to do it within what we would consider ethical or actually even legal. Okay, And so many of these accounts were accounts that uh, clients were unaware of and had no uh, need for. Uh, so in incentives can change behavior, except it might not be in the right uh, direction. Uh, and other times incentives might make you doubt why you were doing something in the first place in, uh, you know, in one of our studies we uh, uh, incentivized uh, children to eat healthy food and they said that their food doesn't taste very good okay? and so basically they were thinking why uh, are there incentives for eating this food I guess I don't actually like carrots or these mm -hmm. quakers that we were offering uh, this is a problem but you know, incentives can be used for our benefit. And so uh, identify the behavior that you do want to incentivize. Okay? Uh, make the incentives such that they are not overwhelming. Okay? It does not become the sole purpose of doing the thing. 
make the incentive to some degree certain. We know from years of psychological research that uncertain incentives work better than certain incentives. Uncertain incentives are like the bonuses that you are excited to get as opposed to your uh, weekly uh, uh, salary that you kind of expect and, and are no longer excited about. Uh, you can use uh, smart incentives. We should use them. Like it's part of your toolbox for increasing your motivation. Right. The uh, this because of course the it's the surprise piece that is essential. It you're you're not if if the incentive is a surprise, then you know you're not engaging in the activity for the reward because because you don't actually know that the reward is there to begin with in the first place. Um. Yes, by the way, even so that was in the original study, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the children's uh, study, when they got the incentive for drawing without knowing about it in advance, it did not decrease their motivation. Uh, but there are similar effects that uncertain incentives, I mean, you, you don't know whether you will get the incentive today, but you know that there is a probability and, and these tend to increase motivation. Mm -hmm. So how about uh, on a related note, uh, just from someone who might be considering a career in something that they're passionate about, um, what advice would you give to somebody who has made the decision that, that you know, their passion is art and music and now they're entering into that career? Are, are there some ways that they can kind of avoid burnout or avoid that interference? Uh, I, I, I know I, I tell some of my students uh, in particular to, you know, carve out some time for a passion project, for example, with the hopes that, you know, perhaps, you, you know, you don't lose your taste for that activity because you have work for this time. And then you can, you can have that intrinsically motivated activity uh, or 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 the intrinsically motivated version of that activity separate. I'm not sure if the if if there's any evidence of that being effective. Well, there is no evidence that paying people to do their job decreases their motivation. <laughs> so there is no worry about that. Incentives decrease motivation when they change the way you think about what you do okay when you did not expect to get paid okay and now you think like why why are you paying me mm -hmm. okay so you know i like we talk to each other now i'm not paying you and you're not paying me for our conversation we uh, talk to each other because we think that this is going to be fun and interesting uh, if i told you ryan I, i'm going to pay you to interview me you might think well what's wrong with talking to her that like she needs to pay someone to do that okay like right. you you would like have to make sense of this bizarre offer okay uh, but when my employer uh, pays for my job I don't need to make sense of it it's completely sensible in my mind and there is no evidence that paying employees uh, decreases the motivation so I would never uh, worry about that I would worry about paying or you know, giving penalties, which is the, the other way, uh, when uh, someone is not sure why they are doing the thing that they are doing. Okay? And, and let me just explain my comment on penalties. Sure. Um, they uh, take uh, um, 
basically young people uh, who are underage uh, and, and consume alcohol, okay? Uh, they might frame it as the, in their mind as uh, the only uh, reason to avoid consuming alcohol in public is that it's illegal, okay? That there are penalties for this, okay? Which means that the moment I turn 21, I'm going to spend much more time in a, a bar and, a, and drinking, a, a binge drinking constantly. Okay. Yeah, we worry about that. Okay, that this twenty-one-year-old uh, person didn't figure out that the law and the incentives were actually meant to protect their health. And yeah, <laughs> the, the it, reason it makes yeah, me not... think of it makes me worried for for parents who sort of will verbalize every activity in the home. So you know, you need to brush your teeth. You need to do this. And it's it it my first thought was, uh, I mean, are are we literally teaching them that the motivation has absolutely no benefit for me? It is literally to to please our parental masters. Um, do you, I mean, do you think that's that applies in that case? Exactly right. Or you need to finish your dinner in order to get a dessert. That's terrible, right? Because if I'm a child, what am I supposed to learn here that? Uh, uh, Food is not something that I'm supposed to enjoy unless it's dessert. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about conflicting goals because uh, it seems as that, like most people don't just have one big goal that they're working on, uh, that most people have all kinds of different motivations at play, constantly interacting with each other. Uh, you know, for example, as my as a personal example, uh, having started a ketogenic diet at the beginning of this year, I'm constantly sort of torn between uh, staying on track for my diet, which I consider being healthy, but I also value, you know, having a really good tasty meal and specifically going off diet on occasion, right? That's I value both of those things. And oftentimes I have trouble thinking about my behavior. Of course, I'm a classic overthinker. So, um, you know, it, it, it it's probably harder for me than it is for a lot of people. But, you know, I, I think about, you know, mixing in cheat days and sometimes it's, you know, should I have a cheat day once a month or do I have it once a week? You know, that can really affect how well, I stay on track with, with my goal. Um, what is, could you talk about that internal, that self-talk and, and, and some tips for how we should frame, uh, dealing with multiple goals that might conflict with one another? Ryan, I, I love this example. Uh, it's a, it's a great question. I'm not sure I have a great answer because you are uh, talking about, uh, several goals that, you might have for eating, okay, which is eating what you think is, is healthy and then uh, eating what uh, is available, uh, what uh, you might enjoy, okay, uh, what uh, other people might serve you. There are so many goals that are around our food selection. And then uh, you want to find the food and the eating pattern that really satisfies all these goals, 
Okay, you, you want to be able to identify the food that is healthy and that is uh, uh, colorful okay? and that is fun and tasty and that other people around you eat so that you can be uh, part of the, uh, the party. It's really about identifying these, uh, what we refer to in the motivation literature, multifinal means, okay? the, mm -hmm. the food that can serve all uh, these goals. Okay, the, the means that can help you achieve uh, more than one goal. It's not always possible. Okay? Right. Uh, sometimes you will just have to uh, not eat that food that is on your diet. And then you suggest, well, maybe there are going to be some uh, balancing such that there are uh, cheat days, there are specific opportunities, there are uh, holidays. The reason I said that the answer might be less than satisfying here is that it's a really fine balance between balance, <laughs> between balancing and uh, between not really changing yourself. Okay. And, and so what I mean is that you can think about balancing in terms of I will skip breakfast by doubling the food that I'm going to eat in lunch. And uh, uh, that might not be uh, ideal for the, the goal that you are trying to achieve. Like to, to change your diet, to become healthier, you really need to change. You need to follow a different yeah. regimen than what you've been doing yeah, until and, now. And specifically for these kinds of situations where it's a long-term goal that has potential conflicts, like, like you, I mean, I brought up ha having an enjoyable meal but i mean you and you also added to that like there's some social norms at play like i don't want to be difficult at a party which is something i think about too um you know for these kinds of goals that are that are long term it it makes me think a lot about where does discipline actually fit into this puzzle because you know, at the beginning, we talk about we talked about in, intrinsic motivation. You have to like what you're doing, and I've I, I have you know crafted my diet to make sure that I enjoy what I eat. But then I I start to figure out like where where does discipline fit in? Because it seems as though I would need to both like it and have discipline in order to to stay on track. Well, you need discipline in order to change what you like and you know, change uh, what you eat. But the change needs to occur while your general life satisfaction from food is not affected at all. Okay, You should keep enjoying your meals and maybe you should learn to enjoy the meals that you cook for yourself Okay, or the, these new foods that you uh, uh, discover. Uh, as it turns out, you mentioned before that uh, our preferences often follow our actions. With food, that's huge. Okay, the food that you like is the food that you've been eating. Okay, once you change what you eat, you will also change uh, what you like. Uh, but you you need to design that change. So you need the self discipline in order to create change. Any sort of change requires self discipline. But design the goal such that the idea is to enjoy my new regimen, to enjoy my new foods and my new way of eating, to have just as much pleasure in my life, except I'm going to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, to add, even to add to that, like there is something pleasurable 
<laughs> there is something pleasurable about confidently saying that you're disciplined, right? Oh, yes. Which kind of, which kind of, you know, maybe not everyone views it that way, but over time, it seems as though for for things, activities that aren't inherently desirable, that oh, through repetition, you can start to gain some sort of psychological reward from observing progress. And, and that is the reward in itself sometimes. Yeah. And one great example for that is uh, the, this tweaks. Okay. So, right. uh, you know, many of us have these streaks that are really not important. Okay. Having a streak on, uh, you know, some uh, engagement with, uh, I don't know, a computer game. Okay. Or uh, the Wordle in the New York Times or, or whatever, like that, that is really not an important goal for people, like not an important goal in your life. But uh, yet we enjoy that the sense of progress and the sense of the success on the streak, okay? Being able to tell each other, I've been doing it now for 50 days and, uh, and kind of setting these goals that are not really important by themselves, but allow us to feel that we are moving and we are getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, to wrap up, uh, we're recording this in December, so... Uh, we're on the verge of a new year. Now, I know through reading some of your work that you're pro New, uh, new Year's resolutions, and there are some reasons behind that. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about, A, why we should embrace the New Year's resolution as a concept, and then B, perhaps give some final tips for how we might stay motivated for those goals that we're setting. Okay, so first part, why we should set New Year's resolutions. Well, it's always good to be self-aware. It's always good to know your goals, okay? to uh, uh, not maybe draw your goal system so you understand what's important for you in your life. Uh, New Year is the best time to do that, okay? It's a reminder that this is something new. It's a start and you know, that, that take the, the hour or five minutes, I don't know, maybe or fast, that it takes for you to think about what you want to accomplish this year. Well, it, it's a really good opportunity, okay? Uh, some people do it much more often, okay? Some people ask themselves, what do I want to accomplish this week, okay? Or, or maybe uh, today, uh, some people uh, need the New Year's resolution. And uh, no, I, I always think about what I want to accomplish in my life at the beginning of the year. Uh, now, whether you will stick with your resolution, uh, first, uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Okay? Uh, the idea with setting resolutions is really identifying the direction. Okay, It's not about whether you can get there. It's about whether you're going to go there, okay? whether you know where you, you want to go. And second, to the extent that you will still be on the path we know is a function of how intrinsically motivated you are to, to pursue the resolution. That is how much the way there feels right, okay, as, as opposed to getting there. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. I, I, I feel uh, lots of motivation from our conversation to tackle some of my long-term goals. And I hopefully the listeners feel the same. Uh, thank you so much for being on today. I let Fishback. 
Thanks for having me, Ryan. For more on Eyelet, visit eyeletfishback.com. That's A Y E L E T F I S H B A C H dot com. Or pick up a copy of Get It Done Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation wherever books are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, please share an episode with two of your friends. Follow the Why Do We Do That Facebook page for updates and additional content. Don't forget to rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast or X, formerly known as Twitter, at WDWDTPod. As always, feel free to email me with comments or guest suggestions at Why Do We Do That Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Ryan Moyer, hoping you found some answers to the question Why Do We Do That? Mm-hmm.